Go with me to James chapter 5, would you? James chapter 5 this morning. Richard DeHaan writes, Years ago, I read some unusual and humorous explanations for auto accidents. Maybe you've heard these before. He says, The following are just a few that people admitted to an insurance company. Here's one. I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. No wonder, yeah. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. Hmm. How about this one? The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. (laughs) The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. And then this one, he says about these excuses, uh, Richard DeHaan says, these excuses may bring a smile, and some, some were probably meant to, but they also remind us of how prone we are to shade the facts, especially when it works to our advantage. How prone are you to shade the facts when it's to your advantage? How, or maybe another question, how committed are you to telling the truth? Always, how serious are you about being very careful you aren't shading the facts, so to speak, or taking artistic license with the truth? I hope you realize that if you're a follower of Christ, God calls you to place the highest of priorities on honesty, on truthfulness on being truthful in all that you say and all that you do. Now, for the last two Sundays, we've been in Colossians 4 and verses 5 and 6. I sent you to James 5, and that's where I'd like you to go. But listen to these verses from Colossians 4, 5, and 6, which we've emphasized and looked carefully at for the last couple of weeks for this purpose. When when we hear in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That's toward unbelievers. So walk in wisdom, we could say, toward unbelievers, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And the challenge there for all who claim the title believer or Christian or follower of Christ, all the same, is that living in this world, we need a wise walk And we need a savory speech so that making the best use of the time that God gives us, we might preach the gospel with our lives. Because our lives should preach the truth of the gospel. As it changes us and makes us more in the image of Christ, the world around us ought to see the gospel living through us. So having been challenged from Colossians that we are to be wise in our walk, with the wisdom of God's word shaping our conduct and preparing our hearts, 
and our savory speech with the truth of God's word, we now return to James 5 and verse 12. Look at verse 12 for another clear challenge not to live like the world, that is, those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, another challenge to not not live like unbelievers, but to live like those whose lives are being shaped by God's word and his spirit. James 5 and verse 12. James writes, But above all, brothers, he's talking to believers here, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, for one verse, James is going to deal with a very important issue, a very important topic for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, who say, I believe that God is in control, so much so he sent his son to die for me and save me from my sins. So I'm going to put all my trust in him, and I'm going to believe that he's in control. And for the people who say that, that should be you. If you're a follower of Christ, you should be able to say, I put my trust in God because he's in control. We ought to be able to tell the truth always, right? And this is important. That's why James is bringing it up. One verse here, in this one verse, he's dealing with a very important topic. And it seems like he changes the subject. We kind of feel like there's a shift here in chapter 5. And then after this, it seems like there's several more changes of gear, so to speak. It's like he's touching on a few important topics as he wraps up this letter. But he touches on this because this is important, and he makes it very clear that this is important when he says, but above all, in other words, pay attention, give attention to this challenge, this truth. Why is this important, James? Because it has to do with the believer's speech. You know, James has been making much of the believer's speech throughout this epistle. It's just as we learned when we looked at Colossians 4, 6 last week. The believer's speech is to be savory. There ought to be nothing in the believer's speech that repels people from the gospel and harms the name of Christ. Now that doesn't mean we avoid speaking the truth of the gospel because some people would say, well, you can't give people all the gospel because sometimes it's offensive. Well, you know what? The word actually says that about itself. (laughs) So don't be accused of of watering down the gospel because you're afraid to hurt somebody's feelings because the gospel calls you a sinner and calls me a sinner and calls unbelievers sinners, right? We need to hear that so that we can come to our senses and be saved. But what we're suggesting here and what, what we see in Colossians and what James is suggesting is that we ought not use our words in a sinful way that harm the name of Christ and hinder our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer's speech is to be like it's seasoned with salt and tastes so much better when there's salt on it. And I hear that there's a division in our midst over whether you like salted watermelon or unsalted watermelon. I am not going to calm down in the middle on this. I'm for the unsalted watermelon, okay? So there you go. I know that some of you just love that. But I don't think it makes watermelon taste better to me. But there's a lot of food I put salt on, and you do probably if you can. If your doctor says it's okay, right? Why? Because it makes your food taste that much better. The believer's speech is to be like that, seasoned with what? 
Well, salt, yes. But in Colossians, the word is grace. <laughs> Gracious speech, which is like your food seasoned with salt, right? So the speech of the believer is supposed to be like savor, savored with salt. Always be gracious, we hear in Colossians 4.6. Now, as we note here in James 5.12, that the topic at hand is about the believer's speech, and this is not a new topic for James. This is not new to us. If you've been following along in James, and if you haven't been able to be with us for our series in James, you can, get, you can actually go back and listen to the, the whole thing on the Internet if you want to. That would be great. And just tell me. That would really encourage me. that I listen to every sermon you've ever preached on James. I'm just kidding. Read James, okay? If you haven't been with us, read James. It's short, five chapters. You will be struck once and once, uh, once and again, over and over, that, that your speech is important as a follower of Christ, as a follower of Christ who wants to honor God with your witness, your speech. What you say is very important. Words mean things. And for a believer, your words are critical. What you say and how you carry yourself with your speech is very important. So we know here in James 5.12 that the topic at hand is the believer's speech. But of course, it's not a new topic. James, back in chapter 1 and verse 26, writes, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his, his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Boy. James, really, tell us what you think. That's kind of sharp, isn't it? Worthless? If I can't control what I say? Worthless religion? That's a serious challenge to those who name the name of Christ to, to seek to have their hearts changed and their tongues tamed by the word and the spirit of God because if one refuses to give God control of his tongue, then he is merely practicing religion, kind of going through the motions, so to speak and likely has not experienced a true heart transformation through faith in Christ. So that's an attention getter for a reason. If you can't control your tongue, you might need to go back to square run one and ask God to examine my heart. Have I really trusted in Jesus Christ? Because if you have, God's, God's longing is to change you from the inside out and, and what changes your words, right, what controls your speech. So that was in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2 and verse 12, we heard this, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Your speech and your conduct, your speech and your conduct as believers is important. In other words, the believer's speech and conduct are to show evidence of being liberated from the controlling influence of sin. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have God's power at work in you to liberate you from sin's controlling influence, and your speech and your conduct should change likewise. And then in James 3, there's, there's a lengthy passage where James instructs believers of the danger of the uncontrolled tongue. And then he closes that section on taming the tongue in verses 11 and 12 and says this, from the same mouth, Come blessing and cursing. My brothers, again, believers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And we say, no, that's not possible. The believer's ready answer should be no. That should not be my mouth, both fresh and salt water, only fresh. 
We've got to be able to say with James, you're right, James, there ought not be pollution pouring from my life through my mouth. My speech ought to pour forth blessing on others as I'm shaped and changed by God's word. My speech must be with Colossians 4, right, gracious. And then we came to chapter 4 and verse 11 where James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And we hear the challenge here that believers are not to speak falsely or in ways that harm others because we've spoken wrongly to or about someone. It is not appropriate for believers to speak wrongly about others, to, to mischaracterize someone or misrepresent them or speak poorly of them. To gossip about people, doing so is putting ourselves in God's place who alone is the perfect judge. And we should leave the judgment to him. We should be gracious in our speech. So when we come to James 5.12, it's a new subject to chapter 5, but it's not a new subject to this epistle, is it? It's not a new subject to James in this letter. James is dealing once again with the believer's speech. Why in the world does James give so much time to believers to the believer's speech? Well, it seems obvious to me, but maybe it's not to you. But can you think of anything else that gets us in more trouble than our mouths? <laughs> maybe it's just me. <laughs> so when we come to James 5.12, here's the challenge. James is dealing with the believer's speech. And we get the idea that this is an important issue for, for good reason. It is very important. So let's be clear here that through God's help, James is challenging us that by God's help and with his hand moving in our lives, with his truth, we must learn to speak the truth. James is emphasizing here in verse 12 the truthfulness of the believer's speech. So let's be clear here that, that though God's word makes clear that swear words, curse words are not appropriate, that's not what he's talking about here. We could include it, and, and, that, and we would be right to say that God's word is, is very clear that we ought not be cursing and swearing. That's not appropriate for followers of Christ. But he's not specifically addressing that. He's actually addressing the truthfulness of our speech. Look at verse 12 again. But above all my brothers, do not swear. We might be distracted here if we stop there, but he doesn't stop there, so we shouldn't either. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. He's not dealing with swear words, cuss words. Although that's wrong, he's talking about the truthfulness of our speech and actions. He's dealing with here the truthfulness of the believer's communication. All the speech... And all the other forms of communication that come from the life of a follower of Christ, says James, is to be truthful, is to be honest, is to be upright. That's clear when he says in the remainder of verse 12, look at it again, verse 12, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. A believer is to be truthful in all he says and does in everything. The trouble is, lying is a serious problem in this world in which we live. Would you agree with that? Have you ever had to sign a contract? <laughs> Have you ever had to sign your name anywhere? <laughs> right? Why? Because lying is so prevalent. 
Because it's so, and sadly, it's so accepted in the world in which we live. Lying is a huge problem. People lie. That's obvious here by the fact that James needs to say to believers that they should not. If James is saying, listen, believers, do not lie. Be truthful in all you say. There was a problem here. And James saw it invading the church. The fact that we have a problem with people who do not tell the truth is proven by the fact that when someone is made a witness in a court of law, they must be sworn in, right? Because now you're here and you're going to take the stand. You must swear to tell the truth and the whole truth, right? Because out there you could tell a lie, but in here you're not allowed to. Do you hear, do you hear the problem there? For believers, that ought not be so. It shouldn't matter where, where we are or what we're doing or who's asking us, we should be telling the truth. Throughout this letter, James has been instructing believers in the use of their tongues. And now here in verse 12, he takes his instruction just one step further. He's wrapping things up in this letter and he's saying, I've got to tell them this. I've got to challenge them with this because this will invade and ruin the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church if we don't get this right. So here's what I've got to tell them. And James says, be truth tellers. Be known for people who tell the truth. I loved reading. I read J. Vernon McGee's little commentary on this passage this week. And he tells a story about his father going to the bank to get a loan way back, way back when. He was talking about investing in a cotton gin. What's that, right? I'm, I'm just kidding. I know what it is, but have you ever used one, right? He was, his father was going to go buy a cotton gin. He went to the bank, and the banker was really busy, and the banker just said, take the money. Just take it. And, and his father said, I haven't paid I haven't written, I haven't signed the dotted line yet. He says, I, your word is good to me. He says, just come back later and sign for it. Take the money. J. Vernon McGee says, that, that's, that ought to be all of us as followers of Christ. People ought to look at us and say, you're a Christian. I trust you. Yeah, you said you would do it, right? I believe you. We ought not need to swear. See, the believer should never need to be asked to swear that he is telling the truth. But unfortunately, we live in a world where lying is so common that you must be asked, are you not telling the truth now? <laughs> okay, now swear that you're telling the truth and sign here. And what, what James has been showing us is that a believer's faith and whether it is a living faith or not, will be shown one way or the other by what comes out of his mouth. You want to know a true gauge of your spiritual maturity? Listen to yourself. What comes out of your mouth? Now, we know that some of us are better at keeping things in than others. So you may not say as much as the next person so listen to the things you think about. Listen to your thoughts. Examine your heart, in other words, right? Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Think about the things you think about. It's a pretty good gauge of whether you're a flourishing, thriving, maturing believer or whether you're floundering or even backsliding. Or even, you may not know Christ. What's coming out of your mouth? The believer's speech is important. James has been making that so clear. And part of a believer's God-glorifying speech is to be the truthfulness of his communication in all forms. Emails, texts these days, right? Letter writing, if you still do that. In your speech, in the phone calls you make, when you communicate, 
in the business that you do. But the trouble was that the Jews in James's day had special rules for telling the truth, and we kind of do too. Rules in their day in which if you made an oath by anything other than God's name, you could break that oath. <laughs> that was convenient. So if you're really crafty and you used your words really quickly and you didn't slip God's name in anywhere in there, you could sound like you were making a promise that you could actually break later and say, well, I didn't use God's name. Edmund Hebert explains, oaths in which the name of God was used were held to be binding, while those in which no direct mention of God was made were not held to be binding. Thus the force of an oath that to all appearances seemed binding, could be evaded by minute inaccuracies in the formula used. They thus developed the fine art of hiding the truth behind their pious oaths. It was the use of such subtle distinctions to escape the binding obligations of their oaths that Jesus and James condemned. Such a practice of pretending to appeal to God to establish the truth while deftly framing an oath not considered binding was the worst form of worldliness. It is the hypocrisy of furthering personal advantage of the pious guise of appealing to God to establish the truth. Such verbal evasiveness is a close kin to the practice of profanity. In other words... I can't say it that good. But here's how I think about it. In other words, I cross my fingers and I put them behind my back and I tell you one thing, but I'm not held accountable because I had my fingers crossed, right? You didn't see that. I had my fingers crossed. So like the kid on the playground who says, I didn't do that. He knows he's lying, but he's got his fingers crossed. So it's okay. It's not okay. For followers of Christ to lie. It's like crossing your fingers behind your back while you tell a lie so that you cannot be held accountable. Like the child telling a lie with his fingers crossed, these Jewish religious leaders were pretending it was okay to bend the truth when they thought it was in their own best interest. And that was dishonoring to God. And so James is saying, look, untruthfulness, lying, dishonors God. It harms the name of Christ. And it will Destroy your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, when they really wanted to be believed, it was like they were saying, this is the honest to God truth. Now you can believe me. It was like saying, with God is my witness. Okay, so now everything after this is truth. Makes you wonder what, you know, everything before that. Was that was there any shade of truth in there? But according to James and the rest of God's word, that is unacceptable behavior for followers of Christ. James makes it clear that the only formula for the believer's speech is one consisting of truth. There is one ingredient, <laughs> truth. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, says James. The Christians, yes, better mean yes. Yes, I will do that. And you better do it. A believer's no better mean no. Otherwise, if your speech is untruthful, you'll lead yourself into all kinds of trouble. We see that in the passage in verse 12. I think that's what James means when he says here in verse 12 so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
It's like I saw somebody say uh, this week when I was reading, I don't know, commentary or something, somebody said, if you're, if you're always cooking the truth, you're always going to be in hot water. <laughs> yes? There's trouble where there's untruthfulness. There's a reminder to all of us that God places a high value on truthfulness and does not treat lightly falsehoods. According to Proverbs 12.22, this is God's perspective on lying. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully, that is truthfully, are his delight. Back at chapter Proverbs 11.1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That's God's attitude toward truthfulness and dishonesty. He delights in those who are honest and truthful. He abhors the lie. He does not bless those who lie. But those who honor God with their obedience and truthfulness, he honors Says Proverbs 11.6, the righteousness, or we could say truthfulness here, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lusts. There's trouble. There's trouble where there are, where there's an untruthful heart and life. And that's what James was getting at when he said that a believer is to be a truth teller. So as not to fall under condemnation, There's trouble. There's trouble in shading the truth, so to speak, right? Oh, I didn't lie. I just kind of mm, massaged it a little bit. I I just massaged the truth a little. I, 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 I just bent the truth just a little bit. Isn't that okay? Isn't a white lie okay? God's word doesn't talk about white lies. And that's why James is so serious about this. There's nothing but trouble for those who tell lies, but God will honor those who honor him with their truthfulness. And if we're going to be a people who walk with God's wisdom in this world and have a savory speech that draws others to Christ and to our Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness for their sins, we have got to be truthful in our speech. We have got to be truthful in our communication, all forms of communication. We have got to be truthful in our business dealings. We must be people who tell and practice the truth in all we say and do. And I can say that wholeheartedly and and confidently because we have nothing to fear from telling the truth because God is in control. And if you have a problem with telling the truth, I'm also going to suggest you probably have a problem with faith because you tend to think God is not in control. I must lie in this situation to make it come out the way I think it must happen. And so hopefully God looks the other way this time. We have nothing to fear by telling the truth because God is in control. And when we tell the truth, God gets the glory. And, and there is blessing for those who, who tell the truth. We, we hear it in God's word again and again. That's the challenge I want to leave with you this morning. Because if we don't get this right, we're going to struggle with telling the truth. If we don't believe that God is in control, we're going to think we need to fib and fabricate, right? But we don't need to. We need to trust God. And tonight as we come back together again, I encourage you to return We're going to talk about what we really need. What do we really need? Because 
one of the reasons we lie is we feel like we have needs and deficiencies, and so we need to, you know, make these fabrications to cover for what we need or to make up for what we need or for what we're missing. And, and I want to tell you tonight what we really need. You want to glorify God with your life? You want to please Him in all that you do and say? Make the formula of your speech one of truthfulness, and you will have God's blessing, and you will glorify God greatly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for truth. We thank you for the word of God. It is truth. And we praise you that you have entrusted it to our care to to teach us and instruct us and, and shape our lives with your truth. So I pray, God, help us to be a people who humble ourselves before your word of truth and then speak the truth and practice the truth, and help us to trust you more and more every day. God, I pray, overpower our weak hearts, our feeble minds. At times we look at our earthly situations and we think there is no hope, and quickly forget that you are God, and you are mighty, not only to create the world, but mighty to save from sin, which is even far more incredible. And for that we praise you. And so, Lord, I pray, strengthen your people to be a hope-filled, faith-filled, believing people who are truthful in all that they say and do for your glory, that that the people around us might see Jesus Christ living in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.